Father, we come before you to do your will, that which you have called us to do. Give us hearts that would incline obedience, hearts that would incline thankfulness and graciousness. Through Jesus Christ, amen. So we are taking a break from going through the book of Acts systematically, chapter by chapter, uh, because we have the church membership class coming up, and so I decided to take a uh, short break, one week, maybe next week, I don't know if I'm preaching, but if I am, then we'll probably take another break from Acts next week, and and look at that. Uh, I could look at the calendar and tell you if I'm preaching next week, but James said that we shouldn't even think about what we're doing in this or that city and what we're doing next week, just... I'm here today, I'm preaching today, we'll figure it out next week. Someone's already figured out. Um, and so I want to talk about, I don't normally do topical sermons, I'm just not that good at them. Um, I don't enjoy them particularly. Uh, Josiah and, and Daniel's message this morning are, they're two guys that are particularly very good at topical sermons. Um, but I wanted to uh, just emphasize church membership as we head towards that and for that, I want to take a, I don't want to undercut my own authority by, in the announcements, I said, uh, uh, you don't have to come to the church membership class to be a member. That is true, but I'm going to follow up with that. I don't want you guys to take that and say, oh, well, and that's the case, then I'll just not come, and why the heck are we doing it, and good luck. The Lord bless you and keep you, keep you warm, right? So I don't want to undermine my own authority there, and so I want to make sure I revisit that, but uh, we want today to see what the scripture says about the necessity of church membership, and along the way, I want to refute uh, what some objections may be. And so, um, I've got a handout in the bulletins today. Uh, I was a little bit more disciplined this week and made a bulletin, or made a handout so you guys can follow along. It's a little bit easier in topical sermons. And so, church membership is, to define church membership, it's a covenant agreement to be part of a local church. And that is a very broad covering. I am just making a covenantal agreement to be part of a body of Christ. Right? Essentially, you are joining yourself to a local body. And so in that sense, church membership is, is not just we need to get a list of names on this side and we need to get a list of names on that side. Those things come later or those are practical outworkings that we'll look at of some of the mandates in Scripture but church membership is and should be more like a, a marriage, more like you are getting married to a body of Christ or you're being joined to a body of Christ uh, and less like a what we would see in a cultural group of and everything. And so the idea of a covenantal agreement is you are giving yourself. The covenantal agreement is not that I'm just all the outworkings, I'm going to show up on Sundays and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. Those are all things that are commanded in Scripture, but those come from a heart and a covenant of, I want to give myself. Right? That's why we talk about uh, marriage being a covenant. Now, we could look at marriage, and if you did any type of uh, premarital counseling, we did it with Anvesh and Deanna, and uh, the first question, I think, was, is marriage uh, more of a covenant or a contract? I was like, well, there's obviously points of con. It's like a contract. Right, and then we argued for like three days, and and because there are some contractual things, we are making a contract. We are like literally signing a piece of paper and handing it into the state. That's a contract, right? Well, that comes later. That is, <laughs> that is uh, part of 
marriage here in the West. And, and, but it is, it is giving, when you're married, when you're covenanting to one person in marriage, you are committed to giving yourself. The husband is committed to giving himself, and the wife is committed to giving herself. And there's a ceremony that goes along with it. Now, uh, the covenant isn't in marriage, isn't just, well, I commit to give myself to you, and, you commit, and then now we're married, and let's reap all the benefits. That's not the way it works, right? There's ceremonies, there's lots of preparation, there's vows, there's, in covenants throughout Scripture, there's, there's hierarchy set up, there's, there's, uh, there's laws, there's sanctions, there's blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, there's witnesses, all that type of stuff. And so when, we talk, when we're talking about a church membership, uh, we're talking about you're committing to giving yourself. You're committed to being part of a local expression of the body of Christ and everything else that follows. And all those other things are practical outworkings. And so the main point I do want to get across today, besides the necessity of church membership, is when we're talking about that, we're not talking about just going through, we're going to do a little nominal class, and then we get a list of names over here, and we get a list of names over here, and then we got church membership, and everybody's happy, and we checked off our little spiritual box, and, and we move on with our lives. Uh, it's going to take us to have the outworkings of covenantal commitment, agreement, giving ourselves, um, to really get that worked up into our, our body, into our members, into our hands, feet, you know, and uh, it's probably going to take a few years. And jumping through the hoops to do a class and do some teaching and get everybody kind of oriented on the same way is just where we start. And so um, if nothing else gets across today, forget about the title, forget about anything. Church membership is a, a commitment, is a covenant to give yourself to the body of Christ. And so our main text actually comes from Hebrews 13.7 and Hebrews 13.17. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke, the, spoke to you the word of God. Consider their outcome. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, that would be of no advantage to you. And so these two verses talk about membership. And if uh, uh, I didn't confer with Daniel beforehand about, maybe he did, I think he maybe asked me in the middle of the week what I was preaching on or something. But we didn't really confer on any way. But if you are a Western American under 67 years old, which I think is everybody in here and watching, uh, or if you've been in, and if you've been influenced by Western thought, and that's all our people in India, then instantly when you hear these verses, you're like, uh-oh, it says obey your leaders, this is where I'm going to start putting up walls, and he's going to talk about this is what you have to do. And, well, no, we're not going to, we're just talking about the necessity of church membership. That shows our radical individualism that we have when we think of the words obey and submit, and then we start building walls and saying, uh, and making rationalizations in our own heart of why I'm not going to obey the scriptures, why I'm not going to obey God. So we'll get to that. That will definitely be talked about in the class. But these two verses show two things about membership. Number one is there has to be a list of leaders, and you have to know who they are. Who do you submit to? There should be a list. And number two, there has to be a list 
who the leaders will give an account of. And so if you are to submit to somebody, you have to know who it is. And if someone is accountable to you, they have to know who you are, right? And so on the first one, you have to know who the leaders are in order to submit to them. And so there's some things that are assumed in Scripture that you cannot logically come to any formal conclusion on how to do these things that Scripture commands us to do unless we have an assumption in the first place. And so when it says, wives, submit to your husbands, the Bible's assuming that wives know who their husbands are. Does that make sense for everybody? Right? That's a pretty blatant point. When the Bible says that children obey your parents, the Bible assumes that children know who their parents are. Right? Here's another one. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Right? You have to have an assumption that you know who these people are. It has to be public. It has to be knowledgeable. It has to, uh, you have to, it doesn't have to be in a, a didactic list form, but you have to know who they are, right? Uh, on top of that, if you're not part of, um, um, well, let me go back. You know, in, in the parable that Jesus says about the, the, 90, the 100 sheep, there was 99, one went astray. And so if you don't even know what sheepfold you're in, you wouldn't even, that doesn't even make any sense, right? You wouldn't expect a shepherd to come looking for you if you didn't know who it was or didn't know what sheepfold you were in, right? And so there's um, some common things that are said along the way where like, well, I might not like where the shepherd takes us. Well, me too, <laughs> right? What, but that's what submission is, Right? If you're getting into a marriage and you say, well, I might not like where my husband takes, where my husband takes us. Well, then, what are you getting into? Is it, the Bible commands wives to submit. The Bible commands us to submit to our leaders. And so, yeah, that's what submission is. If I'm going willingly, I'm not submitting. And so there is no submission. There is no obedience where there isn't any conflict. And so... Um, is it just about doing, you just don't want to do something, you don't want to be taken somewhere where you don't like? Well, guess what, me too, but I'm a radical individual, and I don't like a lot of things, right? We can't negate scripture for the sake of our feelings, for the sake of rationalizations that we, that we might not like something, right? Other ones, like, you know, if you're in this idea of, like, you're a sheep in a sheepfold, and thinking about joining the sheepfold, and you might say, I like the sheep, I like the shepherd, I just don't want to be committed, too committed to anything. Well, I would say, you might want to think about how committed you are to not being committed. Let's start there, right? Well, what do you, is it a fear that drives you? Yeah, I'm afraid we might go someplace where I don't like, because I don't like things that I don't like, and that makes me uncomfortable. But that still doesn't negate obedience to Scripture, Right? Obedience to the Lord. Well, I got hurt by, a, I was in a sheepfold once, and I got hurt by a previous shepherd, and I don't want that to happen again. I don't want that to happen again. Nobody wants that to happen again. Right? That's the idea. Uh, but are you going to disobey the word of God? Right? Our, um, I didn't want to take up too much time this morning, but in the class, we, we'll talk about what a uh, an elder, what our deacon's responsibilities, what our members' responsibilities, and how far does that go? Those are important things to know, right? We'll get into the, do I need to do whatever the elders ask? No, you don't. 
What if they ask? Because if they ask you to do something unbiblical, you don't do it. That shouldn't happen uh, in a healthy church. But um, it's not a. We're not looking in church membership. It's not a call to blind obedience. But in, and so we're not looking for yes men and women who just uh, don't rash, don't rationally think, don't consider the word of God, don't you know do their own thinking and just do what I say. That's not what church membership is about. Right, and so um, we'll get into more of that in the class. Right? Does a but the same follows for does a child have to obey his parents in everything they tell you to do? No. If you're mom or dad, if you're a child and living in their house, which most of us aren't, but if they tell you no, you can't go to church, then it's time to disobey your parents. Right? If they go directly against anything Scripture teaches, you don't have to obey. Right? Does a wife have to submit to her husband and everything? No, if they tell you to do anything unscriptural, obedience submission is not required. The word of God is the authority. And so that we, but we have this sickness in our evangelical world of this radical individualism. We normally want to buck authority. We normally want to instantly say and put up guards and say, nope, won't go that far, right? And it's so infected our way of thinking that most of us never even think about what it means to join a church, that we should join a church, that we need to join a church, and in some cases, uh, it's even not even an option in any formal sense to join the body of Christ. And so our, our culture constantly teaches us that submitting to authority makes you a sheep. Right? We hear that all the time. We're taught that unless you are bucking authority, you are likely a likely candidate to join a cult. Right? Has anyone, anyone ever heard that? Well, if you just do it, you know, it looks like it's getting a little cultish, right? Uh, because you're, uh, you're just joining something, right? We see this all the time in the political sphere, at least I do. And so we're taught that freedom comes from bucking the rules instead of obedience as a way to freedom, which is the way Scripture tells us is the way to freedom. And so in Galatians, when Christ talks about for freedom, Christ has set you free, he gives you freedom by making you a slave of Christ. And so freedom, in Christ's perspective, is obedience to him. We gain freedom by becoming servants. Everything in Scripture is about upside down of what we'd normally think, right? We, we think that to get freedom, we would want to, uh, in a driving sense, we'd want to remove the highway barriers and just drive however we want on whatever lane we want, and that's true freedom. True freedom... Uh, and you won't get very far. You'll likely run into a ditch and uh, burn out or die. Uh, but true freedom in Christ is we drive on the right side of the road. Here's the lines. Here's the highway barriers. And those will keep you. And here's the speed limit. And that will keep you on a safe path. Right? I was, uh, you know, you get all kinds of creative opportunities to teach your children the more time you spend with them, and Lily now knows the driving rules of why there's white and yellow lines and whether they're, uh, they're solid white lines means you cannot pass, and we're on the highway uh, uh, earlier this week, and she pointed out that, like, they weren't supposed to do that, and I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, they passed a solid white line. I'm like, oh, man, I wonder if she realizes every time I pass a no-passing <laughs> zone, uh, right? But there's, there's markers and indication Right for those rules that keep us uh, 
not just in check, but keep us free to travel, right, in that road sense. And so on that first list, right, that first list that's given is that you have to know who your leaders are to submit to them. Are you supposed to submit to the leaders across the street of of that church? Are you supposed to submit to the leaders of First Baptist Church? Are you supposed to submit to the leaders in another church? Right? It's assuming you know who they are, and they should be public. It should be knowledgeable. Right? And so the second list that the, those scriptures require is that the elders must give an account. So when it says the elder, that the, the leaders that the, you submit to them because those are the ones who are watching over your soul, for they must give account. If uh, We have you know, some people who are accountants in our church, and so if you were to take your taxes to an accountant and you ask them how much they owe, and they say, here's a ballpark. And they're like, no, like, like how much is it? Like, they give you an amount and they say, more or less. <laughs> well, which one is it? Is it more or is it less? Right? When you ask an accountant to do something, you're asking for a specific number. And so when it says that the leaders, that the elders of a church must give an account, I really think that the Lord will ask them, uh, how many people are in your sheepfold? And if they say, like, no, oh, about 60. Is it, is it 58? Is it 62? How many is it? Well, it's a give, give or take. That's not accounting, right? You wouldn't expect that. And so, again, in the analogy and the parable that Jesus uses with the 99 sheep and leaves to find the one, leaves the 99 to find the one, he had to do an accounting. It's not, well, we got like a kind of like a core group here, and there's like six or seven sheep that are coming in and out constantly, and, and you know, they're, they're here and there. That's not what he's doing. He knows he has 100 exactly. He knows when one has left, and he goes after them. And you do not want to be in a position where someone is not going to go after you when you're the one, right? That is our tendency, is we, um, as God's people, as Christ as the chief shepherd, and us as the sheep, we have a tendency to go astray. That is our, our bent, as long as we have sin. And so we want someone who's in charge of us who's going to go after us. If you don't want that, you don't want Christ to go after you. And we come back to radical individualism. Um, and so as leaders, as, as elders and, and or as the government of the church, we want them to have an orderly account. I would expect them to. I expect them to uh, list you know, who's, who is a member and who is not. Who are you in charge of? Whose soul are you watching over? Is this person that's been here a year or two? Are they, is this a person you're in charge of or not? Right? And so church membership is implied all throughout Scripture. And I would say, in fact, uh, church membership is, is inevitable. You always have it. Just how documented, systematic, and organized it will be is up to the leaders of the church. And so... In Scripture, we have a lot of freedom to follow different forms. And so, just based on those two verses, and I didn't pick out those, by the way, I didn't like say, like, what's a way I could talk about church membership and, and involve this submission to leaders and, and thing? No, um, out of, I don't know, maybe eight to ten Reformed preachers that I listen to somewhat regularly, I found some church membership lectures from them. Every one of them used those two verses. <laughs> And so those are kind of the fundamental, if you're going to look at any 
set of scriptures uh, to say, like, where is it as close to didactic as possible? Those are it. Because if you don't know who your leaders are and the leaders don't know who the members are, then the church membership can't happen. And so what I would say, that church membership is, is always there. How organized it is and systematic is up to the, is up to the church. And so sometimes the Lord doesn't put a strict rule set in Scripture. Um, we see that membership is mandatory, but how each church works it out is, is not given to us. And so if you were to look at a church in a third world country the size of, I don't know, maybe 20 to 30 people, that church membership would look much different than any church membership in the West. Um, uh, I wish I could remember the, the brother... I, that started Open Doors. Uh, he just, Brother Andrew, I think is his name, he just passed away. And it is, they mostly uh, help persecuted Christians and get Bibles into heavily restricted countries. And so there was a, a report I read uh, recently from them about there is a congregation in China of 60 people who were looking, tried to get asylum in it might have even been like Taiwan or, or it was South Korea. And those 60 people together were moving from one place to another. They went to South Korea, sought asylum, got denied, and now they're seeking asylum in America. And so I don't think their church membership looks like our church membership. I don't think that they maybe even have a list. Their list might be, oh, here's the people we're following on these government forms to seek asylum so we can get out of, out of our uh, totalitarian country. Right? It looks different, right? But it's, I guarantee you the elders or the pastor of that church knows every one of those 60 names, mm-hmm. right? You might not have it written down. Um, and so it doesn't always look the same. In, in our particular, particular culture, we have a church across the street. We got a church down the street. We got a church over here. We got a church over there. We got a church everywhere. It's like a Dr. Seuss book. And, <laughs> and so... You know, oftentimes, uh, to be unified in a body of Christ, we think that when we just have faith and we come to Christ and we're in the universal church, now we're just good. We're just, that's all we need. But that's not how it works throughout the scriptures. That's, there's no way you can be obedient to anything the Lord calls you to do that requires the church without joining yourself to one body and giving of yourself. And so... Uh, in our current culture, where you can just go and hop from church to church, um, you can go to this church for that, you can go to this church, and, and, and even um, I did this for a while, is, is you would claim to say that, well, I, I'm growing in Christ because I watch all these people online. And, right, and, well, that's, you can't obey what we clearly read in the scriptures to submit to your leaders. How do the the leaders certainly wouldn't have an account of you because you view it online, and so they're not accountable. They're not watching over your soul. You're not submitting to them, right, in any real sense. And so that's where our radical individualism comes in. And so in the membership class, we're going to talk a lot about, here's what the scripture mandates, here's how a lot of people do it, here's a general form, and this is what I think we're going to do. And this is how it practically works out. And that's why we're going to leave 20 minutes for Q&A at the end of each one because everyone's going to have the question of, okay, I get that, but what do we do? Like, what's next? How do we do that? How are we going to work that out? And so just look at the images of the church in the New Testament. So how could anybody be an army, a family, a city, a body? 
without knowing who's in charge and who's in and committed. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. Right? Like, if we're in the family of God, who's your, who's your brother? Who's your sister? Who's your dad? Who's your mom? Well, I just... All, everybody. No, that's not, that's not how it works. Right? Uh, all of those... All those images in Scripture have a basic hierarchy, right? You obey your parents, you honor them. The children uh, are to obey and, and submit, but you're supposed to be a family unit working towards the same thing, right? In an army, uh, right, do you know who the commander is? Do you know what the mission is? If you don't, then uh, you're, that's not how you win a war, right? In a city, right, do you know who the government is? Right? Do you know what the laws are? Do you know in cities there's different bylaws? Um, there's, there's traffic tickets. There's ordinances. And I know, because I get them, uh, and I know what they are. And, and so you have to know in, in every city... Not every law is the same. Do you know what the laws are? Do you know who the government is? Do you know who your mayor is? Right? If you don't, that's not how you stay civilized. That's not how a civilization, civilization that's not how a city thrives. It, when we start thinking that, like, well, I'm in the city of God, then you're like, okay, so what are the laws? What are the bylaws? What do you mean? I mean, like, you're in the city, right? What city is it? What's its name? Right? When we... Uh, what's the, if you meet somebody, let's just say you met um, someone downtown or something, you were out sharing the gospel, and they say, oh, I'm already a Christian. What's the first, well, like, what's one of the first questions you would probably ask? What, what church do you go to? Oh, that's like a natural thing that, well, I don't go to a church. Oh, well, that, that would strike you as like weird. That's like, that's not right, right? And so the same thing is like, yeah, I'm part of the, I'm part of the city of God. What's it? What's the name? It's just the city. Just, I look at it. I'm like, I mean, I don't, I'm not part of it. I go there sometimes, right? And so it doesn't, those analogies don't make any sense in reality, right? You're, uh, we're the body of Christ. Are you connected? Right? Well, no, well, no. I'm not like, I'm like, maybe, I'm not, I'm a hand, maybe, but okay, so who's the elbow? Where's your elbow? Where's your forearm? Where's your shoulder? Who are they? Right? When you're not a part of a body of Christ in that analogy, then you're just some, like, weird growth. What is it? It's not, it's not part of the body. It's not, it's not normal, right? It's weird, right? And so... Uh, especially speaking in covenantal terms, when you're the body of Christ, the eye can't say to the mouth, I have no need of you, or to the hand, I have no need of you. When Paul's saying that in 1 Corinthians 12, right, you have to think of your arm, your hand, your eyes, your mouth are covenantally committed to one another. Right? There's a commitment that my eye is going to see the food, my hand is going to grab it, and my mouth is going to eat it. Right? You have to be covenantally committed if there's not then you're like shoulders trying to it's like having a dead arm that fell asleep and you're trying to like pick up and you're just spilling everything everywhere right it 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 would if you're not covenantally committed there's tendons ligaments muscles everything working together then then 
The mouth doesn't get to eat. The eyes are wandering over here. The hands aren't doing anything. Right? And so there has to be some kind of covenantal commitment. In our particular body, next year we are celebrating 20 years of Grace Christian Fellowship. In 2000, we started in 2003. Most of us were either, most of us were between, between the ages of 5 and 15 when GCF started. Most of us. Um, I think I was a little older. Uh, I'm one of the oldest people here. And, um, and so after about, it's okay to have organic church membership, organic fellowship for a certain period of time. It, there's a certain level of zeal that just carries you through. But at some point, you have to get past the organic in order uh, in order to grow. Not, I don't mean numerically. I mean in what Christ and his kingdom. And so why not do it organic? Why, not, why do we have to like, write down a list? Why do we have to, at the end of the class, we're going to have a list of elders and leaders, and we're going to have a list of members. And that list is going to be put on a piece of paper and filed in a box somewhere and kept somewhere. Most likely, uh, we'll just, and so why do we do that? Why, like, why is that even necessary? Why can't we just keep doing it organic, right? Um, and so, well, the same thing is like, why can't we just have like an organic family? Why can't we just have organic family fellowship? Why does dad have to like sit us down and lead family worship? And why do we have to, why can't we just have an organic family? And someone will, when we get hungry, someone will just make food, <laughs> And if you're hungry, just go grab something out of the fridge and feed yourself, right? Because that's not a, that's not a cohesive family. That's not, um, that's not how we're directed, right? Eventually, you have to get to a, a more systematic way of doing things. And so, and so when we do the class, that's what we're going to have is essentially two lists of people and uh, at the, the very... The fifth class is going to be just the history of the last 20 years of Grace Christian Fellowship. And the sixth class is going to be, we're just going to read a, a covenantal agreement for all members, from leaders to lay people. And it's going to be about three sentences that I covenantally commit to follow Christ. And I've been baptized. Might only be two sentences. And so why are we going through this formal thing? Why are we writing it down? Well, I gave you a list of verses of the book of life or written in a book by God on, uh, down here. So I'm just going to read from Philippians 4.3. Uh, Paul says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written, who, whose names are in the book of life. And so, Luke 10 talks about your names being written in heaven. Daniel 12.1 talks about your names being written in the book of life. All of those Revelation passages talk about that. Even It's almost like God's keeping uh, a list of like, oh, this person's in and writes their name down and then, oh, and he scratches them out. It's a book that, it's an account where those people's names are written and then people get on the list and then they get off the list, right? Exodus Psalm, uh, the Psalm passages in Malachi all talk about God writing it down. And so we're just following Christ and God, the Father, as our example. And so you write it down because it's important, right? And so 
those people who want to covenantally commit to a body of Christ, the elders should know who those people are. They should pay more special attention to them. We will always have regular attenders. We will always have visitors. We will always have, in Western culture, members and other people that, that regularly attend, and that happens. Right? But who are the elders really accountable for? And so you write it down because it's important. Uh, you write it down because you don't want to forget. You write it down because you have to remember. There has to be an orderly account. And you write it down because it's an agreement. Again, in the covenant of marriage, you are signing something, particularly with the state that says that we are covenanting to marriage. And you submit those papers to the government. Why can't, why can't we just go down to City Hall and yell to the top window, we're getting married! And why can't that be it? Right? Well, you don't run a, a civil, civilization that way. And God doesn't want us to run the city of God that way. And so you write it down because you write down agreements, right? We, I have tried in some cases, and I can only do this with uh, certain people to have certain agreements that you don't write down. But I can guarantee you that uh, whenever it requires money, it's a good thing to write it down. I said this, and you said this, and let's just... If we have any questions, just refer back to the list, refer back to what we said, refer back to the contract, and, and we can read it. And you can certainly say, well, I don't think that, I didn't think that's what you meant. Well, okay, but that's what, that's what it says. And, and so we write it down because it's a, a, a covenantal agreement. Right? Pragmatically, we're writing it down. We want, I actually want people to sign a covenant agreement because I want you to think it's important. And a lot of people, well, okay, so I, I really do think it's important. Do, do we have to write it down? No, we don't have to. But why not? Right? And so pragmatically, as we move forward, we need an organized list. Just as Grace Christian Fellowship moves forward, we need an organized list. Usually as churches grow, cultures grow, uh, you have to be able to identify the leaders and the members who each uh, and who each is. And so... Church discipline is not even possible without a defined membership. And so, meaning, church discipline is not just holding others accountable if they went astray in the Matthew 18, but discipline on the good sense of, right, you want your sons to be disciplined, right? That doesn't mean you're just spanking them. It means you're teaching them, admonishing them, helping them grow. You could send... Uh, your, your son or your daughter out to weed the garden and you might be able to, and you, a uh, visitor comes in and says, oh, where's your, uh, where's your child? Oh, they're, they're outside, they're, they're being disciplined, right? They're getting disciplined by, not as a form of punishment, but as a form of growth. And so, but particularly in the sense of Matthew 18, when, the, when Christ requires that we share sensitive information with others in the church in hopes that someone repents. When someone has fallen into a, a long line of egregious sin, do you, does it make sense for us to get up here on Sunday morning and say it, and there might be a visitor or there might be someone who's not covenantally committed? No, that wouldn't be appropriate or make any sense. What do we share sense of information with anybody who's not committed to be Christ-like. No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't want to do that, right? And so that's why we need uh, a, a, a form of church membership, 
right? And so you can't do uh, church discipline. And, and not only that you can't do it, but members of the church are required to participate in church discipline. And that, Christ, go read Matthew 18. He gives us a very shorthand uh, instruction on how to do that. And then it's like, you, go, you guys go figure that out. You guys go figure out how that works out in, in your context and um, in your location and in, in your city or whatever. And so we can't actually be obedient to Christ unless we had a defined list. And so throughout Scripture also, you are either in or you're out. And that's not like an exclusive, like, if you don't get in, then you're out. That's not a form of like, that's not a scare tactic, right? That's not here to, we don't stand up here to say, well, if you're not in, then you're out and see you later. No, that's not at all. Don't take it at all that way. Right? But biblically, there are always two people groups. As Daniel talked about this morning, there's either the seed of the woman, which comes Christ, or there's the seed of the serpent. And there are biblically only two people groups. And that always works out covenantally on uh, whether they're actually in something or out of something. And so in the very beginning, there's Adam and Eve. They are in the garden. They have covenanted together. We know who they are. We know who the members are. There's two. There's Adam and there's Eve. There's a very short list. <laughs> and who was in charge? God was in charge, and you put Adam in charge, and there you go. It was, it was all fun and it was all good. Right? It was very easy until a couple weeks. And then it got complicated, right? In, in the account of Noah and the ark, right? You couldn't say that, yeah, I'm part, of, I'm part of Noah's people and not get on the boat, right? You couldn't have really nice sediments towards Noah and his family and what God's calling them to and from, you know, the waters as they rise and be like, yeah, part of those people, right? No, you're either in the boat or you're out of the boat, right? Even in Israel, you're either covenantally in or you're not, Right? You're either part of Israel as, uh, as Israel was leaving, as was exiting through, <clears throat> through Egypt, and more people who weren't Israelites joined. Right? You're either covenantally committed or you're not. You follow the bylaws. You've got uh, ceremonial standards. You've got a way of life. You're, and you know, those things weren't, that doesn't mean you know, you've got core rebellion that everybody was a true Israelite. That just means that they were covenantally committed. And so um, to as we're wrapping up and circling back, I said I'd answer that one question of, you know, to, uh, we don't actually get to say, you know, if, we're, if we've been here a certain amount of time, can we opt out of it? I don't want to say, when I said earlier, that you don't have to be, take the class to be a church member. You don't have to take the church membership class to be covenantally committed. You could be covenantally committed. But it'd be very hard to not take the class and be of one mind and commit to what we're committing to without being there. Does that make sense? And so as we move forward as a, as a congregation um, in church membership, the, the, the lists are secondary. I want everyone to remember that the lists are secondary. The formal membership is secondary. What's primary is the covenantal commitment to the body of Christ. And so as we come to the table... Uh, we're called, when we're called to give ourselves, we're called to follow the example of Christ and how Christ gave himself. So it doesn't matter your, your station of life. It doesn't matter 
If you're male or female, whether you came from America or not, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're a parent or, or a child, whether you're in any position of authority or, or submission, you're called to follow the example of Christ and to imitate him. Right? Husbands are called to give themselves to their wives as an example of Christ. Wives are called to submit themselves to their husbands as an example of Christ. And the same goes for masters to exhibit and imitate Christ. And the same thing for slaves to exhibit and imitate Christ. Because we are all to imitate Christ. Because we see the elements don't save us. When we come to the elements, we don't come in faith that if we eat eat these stale crackers and this wine that's been sitting out for two hours, that we somehow get the grace that God's giving us. We don't believe that. I could do that on Tuesday. I could do that on Wednesday. And, and every time I wake up in the morning, I need a little bit more grace. So I'll eat a couple more stale crackers and, and old wine. It's new wine. It's just been sitting out. And so when we come in communion, we're coming to fellowship with Christ. He has committed himself and gave himself and covenanted with us. These are signs and symbols of our, of our supper, of our celebration with Christ. And we take that to receive grace, but not just that magically the elements have grace, right? And so as we come and dine with Christ, we are called to remember how he gave himself, how he submitted himself to us. Not meaning that we have authority over him, but he gave himself to us. And so come, let us dine with Christ.